a Radio 191 FM podcast. And right now I am joined by Director Justin Primbleton, the Director of Capital in the 21st Century, which is playing at the New Zealand International Film Festival this weekend and early next week. Morena to you, Justin. Good morning. How are we today, sir? I'm good, good. Marvellous. Getting going. <laughs> Marvellous. Right, um, people might know you from uh, films that you've done in the past, uh, Nuclear Comeback, um, Chasing Great, which was the documentary about Richie McCall. Um, he did a great documentary about the Five Eyes. Uh, and also executive producer on Tickled by uh, David Ferrier's fantastic film. Um, yeah. And now you've uh, done a film based on French economist, uh, economist Thomas Piketty, um's book of the same name which is called capital in the 21st century and my first question to you uh justin is do you speak french no i don't i don't and you know i felt really bad about that really guilty about that but i also realized that that you know i thought about shit i need i need to learn some french <laughs> i need to just get and then i just thought i'm coming to terms with this really dense economic textbook it's not the time to be putting effort into learning you know <laughs> A few times in French, um, so but, but I was apo- I, I was apologetic about that. But Thomas, I mean Thomas speaks English, so um, you know <laughs> I was just very clear right at the beginning. I had a French editor, a French composer, a French producer. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> it was definitely a French team, and it is a French film. Yeah. It's a French New Zealand co-production. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, it was important that everybody knew that I couldn't speak French and was happy about it right up the front up front and uh, that we all spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you come across the the book in in, in the first instance and um, and then from there how did you go about becoming the director of the film? Well the um, I actually the book came to my attention because it was creating such a noise in America um, where it went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of, and I mean, I uh, read another book called The Spirit Level, which was a successful book about inequality before that. Um, but I saw that, you know, why is this? What, what, what is this book? You know, and then when I drilled down further and looked at what it was, I was even more surprised that it's a 700 page yeah. hardback um, of economic theory, but it spans 400 years or, you know, since before the Industrial Revolution to the near future. Um, and, and that just made me want to to buy it really and i did and got it and read it and thought gosh this is this is interesting you know um but then i heard that a new zealand producer matthew metcalf was trying to buy the rights mm-hmm. to make it a film which even surprised me at the time <laughs> i read it i wasn't thinking about it as as a film because it really is i mean it's got over 100 graphs um it's it's a lot of formulas um but i was impressed that he thought it was going to be a film and if it was going to be a film then i wanted to make it so I, I talked to him about that and he said go and start developing it so I went back to the book <laughs> reading it again yeah. and um and 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 then it started to become a movie pretty clearly I mean I talked to Matthew about what he saw as a movie anyway and it was it's a movie about history and and not just economics but sort of social history and social policy and politics and in many ways is, is a political thriller sort of mm. showing how capital is this um kind of shape-shifting invisible force that sort of sweeps through history and creates these lasting outcomes and how when we've been able to tame it or harness it in a certain way it's created it can be used for good and at other times it, it, it has this instinct to 
concentrate into something that can actually be quite destructive for a lot of people. Indeed, indeed. Um, yes, of course, Matthew, people may know him um, from the terribly underrated McLaren, which I thought was a fantastic <laughs> documentary, to be honest, but um, it, got, mm. it got panned by the critics quite hard in Britain, I believe. Um, what did it? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, they were too busy worrying about their own yeah. race car drivers. That was Roger Donaldson. Yes, and he's worked a lot with um, Tor Fraser as well, and mm. um, yeah. yeah, made lots of films, yeah. Um, humans are really quick to forget the lessons of the past, I feel. Um, and that's something that kind of arises from this film. Um, you know, I mean, you can already, already see, um, Wall Street forgetting the lessons of 2008. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I think is, I mean, sometimes perhaps you're right within our own lifetime. Mm. Um, but often we don't look much beyond our own lifetime and you can see again and again similar things playing out um as someone said, said to me though you know history doesn't repeat it, it so much as it rhymes mm. which i really like because it, it, nothing ever plays out the same it's yeah. not like it just happens again but you can see how things start playing out if you look through history how, how that's related how yeah. you've seen the same the same forces play out again yeah um and that was, you know, in the case that the French Revolution was this fabulous idea where everybody was going to be free and equal, and, and of course, it doesn't happen. Um, and, and the New World, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, you know, was supposed to be this free, new escape from the old hierarchies of, of aristocracy and, and old Europe. But it didn't happen because what, what the thing is, and, and, and if you think that right forward to the Occupy movement, you know, yeah. it was going to be... Something, it was something great, but it didn't seem to achieve much. And the reason it didn't is because I think the lesson that we keep forgetting is that movements must be politically organised. Yeah. There must be a political, you know, and those ones, none of those were, they were kind of, we want change, we want change, we want to change this, something's wrong. And it was a genuine, authentic voice that you were hearing, but it didn't manage to be able to create anything that political that was able to put some sort of real structures in place to change things. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the Tea Party in America, <laughs> however, was a political movement, so it has been quite successful, and that's why we, you know, got people like Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, and oh god, this, this, I don't see, I never saw many similarities between what happened at the Boston Tea Party uh, and and the Tea Party. In itself. Well, yes. I guess just the name, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, well, you're right. It's it's there, there's you know, I mean, the 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 elites. One of the troubles is they control the flow of information. So when you've got the 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 mm. the one percent and ninety nine percent movement, you you could see them really pushing towards showing um, the rest of the world um, that the ninety nine percent movement they just were just these um crazy controlling leftists and they kind of mm. made them the enemy of the everyman mm. i think that's actually one of the biggest i mean that's one of the big lessons of the film one of the biggest number one takeaways that people i think need to, to that i want people to sort of think about is the fact that we need to get money out of politics mm. because you know there's this idea that one person one vote is a very different thing to one dollar one vote and capital has been so destructive because of this um, in terms of lobbying. And then to, to the point where in America, the lobbyists actually write, write the regulations. Yes. So the BP oil spill, the Deep Water Horizon one, 
happened because BP were writing the drilling regulations. <laughs> you know, it's how corrupt it is. It's like, and, and I mean, America's just way off the chart, but it's happening here too, you know. Yeah. There is a real political lobby going on um, representing business interests. Um, and even to the point where our housing debate is, is, um, is you know, it's capital that's driving it, and that means it's homeowners who are so excited by the capital gains that they're getting out of their houses that kind of want to keep it all play, keep, keep that in play um, and they are politically really powerful for, the, the, for both main political parties so so you know this is this idea that um, you know ca- ca- yeah keeping capital away from politics and and therefore also the media yeah well we've lost our ideals of the, the fact you know when, when social housing began in New Zealand uh, in the 40s and the 50s it was it was a brilliant scheme and and pe- the rest of the world looked at us and now we're trying or thinking about doing the same but we're going to do it private private um, public partnership why aren't we doing it the way we used to do it um, well, because know, we did it so it's, well it's this, this word bureaucracy became very much a negative word really negative word in the same way actually the word liberal has become very negative as well lately mm. um but a, a bureaucracy in classic terms, in terms of where it comes from, is a, 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 an informed, knowledgeable base that politicians could go to who actually do know the facts. Because politicians can be anyone, and that's great. But it also means that, that they don't necessarily have knowledge about, well, in terms of most things, that, 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 that you need to run a country. So, yeah. you know. Be it the science behind climate change or certain economic um, basics, you know, um, and a bureaucracy would get that. But I think that people have become so anti-government, and that has been the capital narrative. Yeah, you know, more government, more government, more government. In the film, you see as soon as Margaret Thatcher gets elected, and Margaret Thatcher was someone that is absolutely poster child for social mobility. I mean, her father finished school when he was. 12 or 13 she says you know and doesn't even have a higher education and yet she ends up becoming the leader of the conservative party and goes to oxford and becomes herself an elite but she gets into power and the first thing she says is there is now work to be done we need to unwind the state the powers of the state and then she started doing things like wanted to you know um roll back all the ben- the benefit system and and sold off all the council housing and things like that so um this narrative of government being bad, um, and, and it is, comes from America, really, it does, you know, mm-hmm. this idea that the government was Britain and the government is bad and it stops you from being free. And, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a deformed ideology. However, I do believe that, you know, I don't think things should be centralised in the sense that they are, that they were in the communist kind of regimes because that didn't work. We know it doesn't work. We know that ultimate power does start to corrupt yep. and and community should have a lot of power and say of their, of their own sort of um, directions and maybe that's a better thing than perhaps state housing maybe it should be more community housing but you know I'm not an expert on that stuff but but I mean, and, and that, but that's the problem when it comes to that kind of stuff too, because it's uh, it's all tied in with the social and socialism, and then all of a sudden people think it's communism, and they can't separate. Oh, I know they can't separate <laughs> the two. The difference between socialism and communism is massive, but they've also, again, through that sort of quite toxic kind of media, the Rupert Murdochs, etc., have tied it together so it is the same yeah. thing. 
you know? right. But, but uh, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders in particular got a lot of younger voters in America thinking, what is this socialism? And they went and looked it up and they read about it and they went, you know what, this issue doesn't sound that bad because mm. this thing's not working for me, you know? I've got a huge amount of student debt. I can't see, you know, a lot of high-paying great jobs and housing is becoming unaffordable and maybe we do need to think about something else. Um, Thomas Piketty himself definitely is still in the camp of capital, um, but he says there are many different kinds of capitalism and there have been many different types of capitalism and we're going down one particular path that is this 18th, 19th century style and it's creating the same outcomes. Yeah, driving us back to that sort of that same world of a very depressed, poor middle class who are almost as poor as the poorest can't afford to buy housing, and a few a, a sort of very rich elite that own everything and can control it all. Yeah, you, we we own the land. You work our land and pay taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we also <laughs> we also own all the IP, and we also control the government, and we also are quite happy to create tax havens for ourselves. But you have to pay taxes on your labour. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we got rid of the the world of uh, the the blue blood automatically having a place in parliament, but somehow they've replaced that with lobby groups. You know, they've done they've done very well from turn, but not being able to. Well, I mean, I still, you still have the House of Lords in in, in uh, England, but it's not quite it doesn't have quite the power it used to have. Do you know though the one of the most interesting statistics? Unfortunately, this is not in the film. Nobody said it in one of my interviews, but I researched it and thought, wow. Um, is that the Tory party in the UK, the Conservative Party, actually gets more money now from dead members than it does living. And that's because of people who have left their estates to the party. Then most wow. of their funding actually now comes from beyond the grave. Isn't wow. that extraordinary? I mean, you shouldn't be able to do that. You're no longer alive. You know, um, and that's quite worrying when you do think about things like climate change, you know? Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a crazy, it's, it's a crazy kind of idea. That is yeah, publicly funded elections <laughs> and political parties is definitely the only way to keep it even. And That's right. In terms of pure democracy. That's right. I mean, the system we've got in Aotearoa is is not too bad, but um, you know, compared to that, but it's yeah. sure is starting to look a little bit scary. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nothing like President Obama himself had to raise, you know, have to did raise a billion US dollars. Yes, did yes. re-election, and that's just an insane amount of money, and it's dead money as well. I mean, that's not trickling through the economy in any way you know yeah that's right that's right well, um, well you know those things you're learning that leads me to this I mean what are the big things that you've learned from this film um, and, and I guess after that what are the things you hope other people take away from it well what's really crystallized for me which one of the things is I, I, I wanted to select a group of people I mean I chose the characters with Thomas who talk in the film um, but I really wanted to make sure there are a little bit diverse and had um, and were good storytellers which they are um, but the diversity included meaning they're not all from what you'd say where Thomas sits on a political spectrum if you're going to use an old, old style left right idea um, and they're not and so people like Francis Fukuyama yeah. who was a neoconservative and was the, you know wrote the book that um, you know, the end of history, this idea that liberal democracies were going to triumph and they'll be the end of wars and things like that. Um, and he is in the film. I mean, it's Gillian Tett, the editor of the Financial Times and former chief economist of the IMF, Simon Bridge, uh, Simon, Simon Bridge, <laughs> Simon Johnson is in there. Um, 
So, so when once we started talking to them, I couldn't believe they all saw the same thing, and that was a surprise. And, and they all started saying, even talking about it in a similar way, Francis Fukuyama is incredibly concerned about the rise of big capital and how it is controlling politics, and he believes has that completely distorted the American system to which, so in, in a way that perhaps you can't even call it a democracy anymore. Mm. Um, and that was really interesting. And he was very humble as well in talking about that and how he got it wrong, and it is a capital crisis. Um, Gillian Tett, the editor of the Financial Times, was very free talking about, you know, today's elites and the, and, and the way the elites are controlling the narrative. Um, and that surprised me, yeah. to be honest. Um, uh, in terms of... Um, uh, sorry, what's the second bit? What to take oh, what would away? you like other people to take away from the film? Yeah. So I think... Um, so, so I think... This idea of how capital is interfering with democracy was crystallized in a bigger way to the point that it, I'd like people to be able to see that that's why we can't solve things. It's yeah. just why we're not being able to solve things like climate change. And actually, climate change is a really difficult one because I struggle with it a little bit. We definitely talk about it in the interviews and we went there um, and it was in the cut. But actually, I can see that a capital crisis needs to be seen on its own and it needs to be seen and understood first. And and that debate really needs to happen for any real change in terms of the climate crisis. Um, and and it just as a topic, it took you so far off that actually it's very hard to come back to capital. Yeah. Um, because you're just like, oh, what's the point anyway? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a new film there. You can, you know, that could be your next work. But I do. But I want to talk about it because I do think that that. I mean, that is. In all the democracies in the world, people are most concerned about it and they want it to change. And that includes America, or in the high 80s in terms of how many Americans want it solved. And that includes a lot of Donald Trump voters. But it's just not getting sorted because of the interests of capital. And that includes in Australia, where uh, leaders of both countries tried to implement positive climate policies and were rolled by their parties the Liberal Party and the Labour Party, because they're so dependent on the funding of the extraction industries. Yes, yes. You know, and it's so crazy. Um, I'm actually in Melbourne at the moment for the Melbourne Film Festival, and I was just turned on the news, the um, Sky News, and they were talking about how the mining sector and the extracting sector is booming here, and yet it's the actual domestic economy is completely suffering and is is it looking like it's going to, is starting to retract and it's very depressed and the journalists say, but why is it that that's booming and this isn't? It doesn't doesn't sort of make sense. It's cause the and I thought, well, that, that's the idea. It doesn't trickle through and it's not even so it's not even in the interest of, of the country. No, Definitely no. not in the interest of the country, you know, but even in the short term, it's not in the interest of the country. It's not like they're all getting rich out of it Yeah. The, well, the, the state's take of the wealth is tiny, but the... Yeah. But 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 the um, the donations are large. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the political donations are huge. Um, mm. Yeah, it's crazy. And Gina Reinhart herself, who's Australia's oh, richest yeah. person, yeah. she wants to. She she's been on record, sort of complaining about how much she has to pay her miners. Yeah. and saying people in Africa work for a couple of dollars a day. You know, uh, I mean, these are the people that are like controlling. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it is crazy, and and I guess what I want people to come away from it. This I when I was. In, when it played in Wellington, uh, um, a young woman who was a student came up to me afterwards and said, and I loved this because, you know, she, she talked about how she'd been feeling very depressed 
about her situation and her poverty and her options, you know, and, and her future, which is not what I loved, but she felt like that before she saw the film. She said she saw films like that, but it also was making her feel more positive and about things because it told her it wasn't her fault. Yeah. That this is, this is something ingrained in institutional working against you. It is something that, you know, it's, yeah. And I think the fact that it's not your fault, but also the fact that the future hasn't happened yet and what this is, is shining a torch into a dark place that we're walking towards and telling us that we can change path here. It's mm-hmm. time to change path. And also the idea that we have to start talking about it because there's been some research in, um, by a professor at New York University in, uh, in well, in New York, <laughs> um, who who's shown that public that the public conversation leads law change by about twenty years, yeah. on average. And I, I mean, I think that could be faster if people talk faster, <laughs> start talking more. <laughs> um, it's scary when you think about climate change because I think that conversation really didn't start until twenty oh six. Yeah. So that's twenty twenty six before you'd expect to actually see it really locked into global policy and that you know that could be too late um right well we have to leave it there thank you so much for joining me this morning um thank you also thank you for including shots from utu my favorite film of all time Uh, oh wow (laughs) great yeah and it's the uh it's the restored version as well it sounds amazing i know all surround sound kind of you know that battle scene is just like it's incredible in the theater definitely worth seeing in the theater yeah yeah oh utu is just an outstanding film uh and it was also good to see my old political commentator bryce edwards in there as well um doing good things (laughs) um justin thank you so much i want to implore everybody to go and see it's a fantastic film and it is truly eye-opening and like you said hopefully this speeds up the discussion because if it does take 20 years 20 years is a very long time um it's playing at the regent on saturday at 1 p.m you'll be there Yes. Yeah, and, and there'll be a talk afterwards? Yep. Yeah, yep, there will. There will be. And then again on Rialto on Monday at 11 a.m., you can get all ticketing details at uh, nziff.co.nz. Uh, Justin, once again, thank you so much uh, for taking your time out to speak to us. And, um, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Cheers. Cheers. See thank you, then. you very much. Ta. Justin Pimbleton, the director of Capital in the 21st Century, which is uh, based on French econ- economist Thomas. Uh, Piketty's uh, book of the same name. Go and check it out. It's going. It is fantastic. I've watched it already, uh, but I'm going to go and watch it again on the big screen. Right. It is almost time for news. That was a Radio One ninety one FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.